we kind of got talking and I said, mentioned that Edmonton was like a world-class dump. And she was like, yeah, it is actually. That's one thing we're really proud of. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Evanston, Alberta, or Amasquichi Waskahigan, on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, we take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. And as of this month, Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. This episode, the avalanche of garbage. Nicole and Jason Harkis ask whether the hill at Gallagher Park used to be a dump once upon a time, the one where the Edmonton Folk Music Festival is centered every summer. I love questions about familiar places that used to be something much less familiar. This old dishwasher will be going to the Eco Station. Next time I take Our story starts on an icy December morning, walking out the back door at the Harkis household, taking out the garbage with Jason. Oh. Watch out for uh, my dog comes back here. Ah. There you go. That's simple. I think it's, I've always thought it was cool um, how Edmonton, I, I think we do a really good job with our waste management from what I've heard, right? Like we have a great recycling program and, and uh, I, I've heard snippets that very little of what we actually throw out ends up in the landfill. I mean, I also have childhood memories of going with my dad to the dump and it was always kind of a fun experience to be driving there, and there's all these big dump loaders around, and people and seagulls flying all around. And I'm Nicole. Um, I like the River Valley, and I'm pretty fascinated by that. Um, just the history. It's this beautiful green space now, but I've heard different stories about it not being always that way. So I'm very interested to find out more about that. Cool. So uh, you've given us a, a question and a, an excuse to take an adventure out to uh, the River Valley. Um, uh, and you're bringing your wonderful children along as well, <laughs> which is great. Um, uh, would, you mind, can you, would you mind explaining what your question was? Well, I, I, uh, I volunteer at the Folk Fest, and one of my friends uh, grew up on that hill. And he made this comment in the summer about how it used to be a dump. And playing out behind his house as a kid, he said they found all sorts of cool old trash items that sort of reaffirmed or reconfirmed for him that it was actually had been a dump. Although when I told him about this, uh, I think he started to question (laughs) the source of that information. Nicole reached out to me via the Historian Laureate Facebook page, which is great. Um, so uh, our task today is to try to find out whether it's true that there was a dump uh, on the Folk Fest Hill, which is also uh, known as Gallagher Park, um, and it's in the Cloverdale neighborhood. So we'll be taking a little road trip there. Let's find out. Great. Sounds good. Perfect. We packed ourselves into our cars to drive down to the Matart Conservatory those glass pyramids of the river valley with all the plants inside. Assistant producer Omar Salafu and I in one car, and the Harkis family in the other. Jason, Nicole, and their kids Cleo, Oliver, and May. We're headed down to the Matart for two reasons. One, it's right by the hill in Gallagher Park that they were curious about. And two, 
It was a warm place to rendezvous with some folks who I knew might have some answers. But first, a quick message about the new network we're part of. If you're listening to Let's Find Out, we know you're already interested in stories about Edmonton. So the Alberta Podcast Network is basically this big snowball bringing together some of the best podcasts being produced around our province. With the idea that as more of us link into the network, we'll be able to help you find more podcasts about the places that matter to you. Like the broadcast hosted by Trisha Estabrooks and Alex Zabjuk. Yeah, it's a podcast about women in politics in Alberta. And once you hear some of their stories, you're going to start to recognize people and patterns and news stories that were there the whole time. You just might not have heard of them before. That's the kind of reporting that I think Alberta needs more of. And you can find more about the broadcast and the rest of the Alberta Podcast Network members at albertapodcastnetwork.com. The Alberta Podcast Network is powered by ATB, who offer a pretty neat platform called ATB Booster. It's a crowdfunding platform for startups and small businesses in Alberta. Anyone can apply and raise funds on the platform. And you can also use it to get more market insights and coaching opportunities through ATB. And this is cool. Booster also stages events and gives entrepreneurs a chance to pitch your ideas in front of a panel of judges to get extra funding for your ideas. This kind of work, along with ATB's sponsorship of the Alberta Podcast Network, allows creators like us at Let's Find Out to keep doing what we love. Check out atbbooster.ca for more information on how you can crowdfund your business through ATB. That's ATB Booster with no E. So, having found out more about the Harkis family and their question, we drove down to the Matar Conservatory to help them answer whether the hill above the pyramids really used to be a garbage dump. Hi. Wow. One of the people we were meeting was Ken Tingley, my predecessor as Edmonton's Historian Laureate. Actually, he was the first. And it turns out that Ken's a member at the Matart, so he was able to snag us a room to pack everybody into. We only had a little time before a birthday party group needed to get in there, so we got right to business. Okay, so Nicole and Jason had asked uh, whether it was true that there was a dump in this area. We're, so we're in Cloverdale, which uh, I think most people in Edmonton would probably know is the place where the pyramids are. Ken has... Uh, not only done some research in this, but has some personal memories related to your question. Do you want me to just launch into a little memory here? I've done a lot of oral history, and uh, so now I'm going to apply some of these principles to myself because I'm old enough now to have memories uh, that answer some of the questions about this area. Uh, In 1956, my father moved with us to Edmonton. We lived in the Strathern Heights apartments, Uh, which are undergoing major redevelopment and are disappearing now. But when we moved here, I had a little cart. And so I'd ride down the hill uh, underneath the ski jump. And when I was going by, there were acres of garbage. It was terrible. I mean, on a hot summer day, it it, it smelled really bad. And kids don't mind this so much. But there were clouds and clouds of gulls as well. And the big incinerator uh, was sitting right in there with the big tower. Things were, there were still people living right in the garbage dump at that time. There were, uh, the last seven houses were uh, uh, under a month to month removal, and finally they were all removed. But there was a woman 
named um, Mrs. Violet Rawson, and she was in the news all the time in the 50s. I wasn't paying attention, I was too young, but she was the widow of a man named Samuel Rawson. They had a little house at number 47 Connors Road, and the newspaper said that it was tucked into a little gully between the elevated Connors Hill Road and the ever-rising dump pile. And there were photos in the paper showing this valiant little house. And it looked like this huge tsunami of uh, garbage just about to wipe them out. And there were a lot of concerns from the community league. They were writing saying, you know, it's right up to the Bennett School. These kids, you know, they're being inundated in garbage. And the city advice on several occasions was, well, on bad days, keep the windows closed. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was, <laughs> they've come a little bit since then. But, uh, so it dates a way back, actually. Do you want me to? Well, maybe I'll just back up a little bit, just to uh, explain sort of how Ken came to be in this room. Is a funny story. I was researching a totally different question. Um, and I was asking for the archivist's help finding some books. They handed me this book, Heart of the City, which is a, a history of this neighborhood, Cloverdale. And I noticed, oh my gosh, this is written by Ken, who I'd met, you know, my predecessor. Um, and then as I was flipping through it, I accidentally came across the answer to your question. Um, I, was, I, I was like, oh no, I, got I spoiled it for myself. Um, but Ken happened to be working at a microfilm reader, like Always 10 feet away from me. Microfilm readers and I are friends. <laughs> so I roped him in um, to, to share that. Anyway, that's, that's how that came about. It was just sort of a weird coincidence that I was researching a totally different question and Ken happened to be in the same room um, and was uh, yeah willing to share some of what he knows about this stuff. You talked about going under the old ski jump yes. and that my friend who had hinted at it being a dump lives, his parents live, like they, their house backs onto where that ski jump pretty much would have been, I think. Yes. Right? And that's yes. where he was coming across all these cool old treasures as a kid. Yes, treasures, exactly. And I've got a, a quote here that's interesting. Kids love, you know, like, we love our river valley, but it was just basically a dump and an industrial wasteland for most of its history. And every little unusable dip in the, in the community was filled with garbage as landfill. And uh, so as a kid, I, I loved going down there like it... Goldbar Ravine, uh, was, it was just a toxic waste flowing out of Refinery Row, but people threw cars down there and tires and everything. Said, oh, look what we found here, you know, it was exciting. But the quote I have here is from someone that grew up in this neighborhood, and they took along a little buster wagon near the old incinerator, and they'd, there was a Chinese market garden too, and they'd pick up stuff, and they'd grab bricks, and they'd clean them off, and they'd sell them. And uh, as she said, we pulled our, they pulled their little guts out and got a penny a load for all of these. And they had to clean the mortar off and everything, but they'd, they made a few pennies. So it was a happy hunting ground. There was also, a, this is where the dog pound was. Like there wasn't anything all that, that great. The dog pound is, was pretty well where the uh, greenhouses are for the Matart Conservatory now. But this whole area was just, a huge heap of garbage. But river communities quite often were treated as dumping grounds. When you were writing this book about the neighborhood, where did you look 
for information? Because I think that's interesting. If there's a neighborhood that um, is like relatively poor, um, that's like facing a, a lot of literal pollution, what records then are there from a neighborhood like that? Well, you're right. I mean, the people that live in communities like this used to be were disenfranchised, essentially. And they were, uh, you know, sort of a laboring, working-class, blue-collar group that uh, were literally, they moved around, and so they didn't have a voice. They lost their voice. But uh, there was a community league here, and I went to there. They, they took an advocacy role, but, and that was one place you go to. Newspapers were sometimes good for that kind of thing, but oral history is, is kind of the cornerstone. And a lot of these stories that I gathered, like I brought a few along here, uh, they, were, they were the result of oral history that was done. And uh, you've got to get on that while people are still around. Ken helped us answer Nicole and Jason's question pretty quickly. Yes, there definitely was a dump in Cloverdale. But we wanted to know more about how it mapped onto the neighborhood today, and whether we could see any physical evidence of the dump today, too. So, in a minute, we'll take you outside with us to try to answer those questions with Russ Cobb, the U of A professor and author. But first, Omar, you did some research as well, hey? Yeah, Chris sent me off on an archive journey by giving me very clear instructions to find information at the City of Edmonton archives about the Cloverdale dump and the Millwoods incinerator. When I arrived at the City archives, the archivist gave me a plethora of information about the Cloverdale dump, but was confused about the Millwoods incinerator, because Millwoods wasn't named a neighborhood in Edmonton until 1970 which means that early history of an incinerator there would be under a different neighborhood name. So I called Chris and it turns out... I gave him the wrong name. I needed to find information about the Mill Creek incinerator, not Millwoods. Sorry, Omar. Once I set on on the right path at the archive, I found information in old newspaper articles about how the incinerator and the dump were characterized and how it terrorized the city of Edmonton for decades. Headlines like, it's got to go, but where and when is the rub, in reference to the River Valley incinerator, and city's waste piles are sites only a seagull could love, referring to the Cloverdale dump. Articles about arguments at city council as well, over what to do with the garbage dump and citizens complaining about black snow raining on their houses. Ultimately, I discovered that the site of the Cloverdale dump and the Mill Creek incinerator had many incarnations, and the site was transformed from its inception as a meatpacking and brickyard industrial zone, to a garbage haven for Edmontonians, to a formalized incinerator and dump. And the one crucial piece of information I found before our trip was the formal demise of the incinerator and the dump, which was on September 13, 1971. Which is pretty recent. So, back to the Matart with the Harkis family. We walked outside with Russ Cobb to try to find out how the old side of the dump and the incinerator fits into today's Cloverdale neighborhood. And the Mill Creek Ravine, just around the corner. Should we regroup? Yeah. Good. Okay, so right now we are just... Uh, just north of the, the, the parking lot of the Mutart and right off the neighborhood of Cloverdale where uh, there was a dump and an incinerator and a brickyard only 
50 years ago. Yeah, so totally different scene. The reason I asked Russ to join us for this walk um, is, well, partly we know each other because uh, I work at CJSR, that's my day job, and uh, Russ and I have partnered a whole bunch of times um, on student projects, so uh, I, I sort of have his name in my brain, and I've read some of his stuff, and uh, he actually wrote some interesting articles about Edmonton's garbage and dump history uh, for the Edmonton Cities Museum Project blog. Mm. Um, how, uh, Omar, Omar, you were asking how did you get started in that whole project? Yeah, well, I mean, the I guess the longer story is I'm not from here. I came here in 2008, and I was just really curious about Edmonton. I didn't really know what the city was about. I mean, I'm a I'm American, and I'd been living in Texas, and you know, Texans have this real strong sense of identity of like what Texas is all about. I was like, what is this city all about? And um, I just kind of was talking to people, and somehow I met the the one of the directors of the of ecamp and um and we kind of got talking and i said mentioned that edmonton was like a world-class dump and she was like yeah it is actually that's one thing we're really proud of is that we're we are an innovator a worldwide innovator with waste and we got talking about it and i was like wow that's pretty fascinating and then so she said you know why don't you why don't you research it so i uh the first story I wanted to know about was the Grierson behind us here, Grierson Hill, which was the, the city's first real dump. And it was like an ecosystem because there was a community there. There were people living inside the dump. There were businesses inside the dump. There were people who dug out holes inside the, the hillside and they were dubbed by the Edmonton journalists cavemen. Um, and there, you can see from like the 1930s, there's be these photo exposés of these, how do these people subsist with these little caves that they've dug for themselves. And then, um, so I wrote that piece and then I was after my next story about Edmonton as a world-class dump. And, uh, it would have, was like almost literally in my backyard. I live up on 99th street and 91st Ave and we moved there maybe a year and a half ago. And someone told me, oh, you know, some of these nicer houses here, they, they were built by people who were the managers of the coal mines. And I went, like, what coal mines? I said, well, these coal, like, just down, just like a half a block away, when you go down into the ravine, there were all these coal mines. And there was a dump. There were, it was an industrial site, which was just amazing to me. Because today, it's like the most verdant, you know, uh, um, uh, park uh, wilderness right and you're you're in there and you feel like you're out in the country especially when the creek is flowing and the um and and it was i mean yeah there were meat packing plants there were um dumps there were uh, uh um shanty towns and um and it all came down to here, right? Because this is where the, the Mill Creek would join the uh, North Saskatchewan River before it was sent underground. Um, and uh, this was just a massive site of, of like an industrial site, which I thought was fascinating. And some of the, some of the pictures you see, like there's a, like big buildings and stores and, and, um, and uh, industry down here. And so, yeah, so that's how I started researching it. And then I saw the, uh, the, the incinerator they built, which is almost literally where the Mutart pyramids are. I think, I think I may be wrong, and you'd have to ask Ken Tengley about this. I think Ken probably knows exactly where it was, but I think maybe a little bit further to the west, the, there was this incinerator. And it was like the incinerator to end all incinerators. So it wasn't just 
any old incinerator because there had been an incinerator here first in a brick uh, foundry and then the city people were complaining about the the incinerator wasn't working fast enough to burn all the garbage so they brought in these um, they got this company from Montreal to come in and build like this world-class incinerator that was I think it was like five stories high it had this huge chimney it was capable of burning 290 tons of garbage an hour so it was a massive massive operation and all the city uh, garbage trucks came there and they were just like lined up just burning 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 and it was the thing that they they really were proud of at the time when they actually got it working in like 1955 1956 was that it was all automated and i have this i have this amazing quote from the engineer that built it he said something like this he'll paraphrase it it was like uh, now the job of of incinerating garbage will now be a white collar uh, a, a white collar occupation because you will simply sit on top of the and pull these levers and it will be all automated and hydro cold, controlled by hydraulics. But the thing about it was like the law of unintended consequences is, the, is that this thing was so successful and it was so big that it sent just massive amounts of, of um, pollution into the air and it flew that way. And at one point at Strathern, this woman in Strathern was complaining because her whole house was covered in what she called black snow, because it was just it was just snowing down all the uh, what do you call that uh, ash. ash? Yeah, ash from the from the incinerator. The Gateway actually ran a really interesting story in 1971 um, that I don't know where they got this information, and I don't know, but uh, they said that they were burnt that they had found that they were burning DDT in in the in the incinerator, and that was contaminating some of the neighborhoods. But uh, it was I think everyone hated everyone hated the incinerator, especially people in downtown because this you know this was an industrial site and that's the main thing you could see if you were staying at the hotel mcdonald and i have a couple of photos from the 60s where people would take uh, photos from their from their nice hotel rooms at the mcdonald and the the beautiful view is this giant incinerator just burning garbage and so it was like yeah maybe we need to do something to improve edmonton's image mm -hmm. I don't know. well i think that's amazing and it kind of resonates with me as far as why I asked the question because I've yeah. heard about brownfield sites through the river valley and trying to build stuff and not being able to without clearing out the soil and all of that but I had no idea there was an incinerator here that it was actually a dump. Right. Yeah we talked about how uh, Leonard Cohen spent a month or whatever here and he wrote that Sisters of Mercy song so he was downtown and that was his view back then right like that's his impression of Edmonton. Right. Yeah. Yeah, not this, not this beautiful, amazing green space that right. we're all so proud of now. Right, right. I mean, and there was a dump too. And the, and the thing about the incinerator is, even though it was burning so much of the 290 tons all the time, like it was, um, it was uh, there was garbage just piling and piling, piling up. And if we want to walk that way, I can show you like where, because like, I've seen some interesting photos of the time from like the late 60s when the they they it's, it couldn't even keep keep up with all the garbage. And I'll show you a site where I think I found something from the uh, from the old dump. Yeah. Cool. Shall we do it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My grandfather was born in some little house down here somewhere. Oh, really? 
and I always pictured it growing up as though it looked like this but with smaller houses, but clearly it didn't. We walked past the Matart to a spot on the other side of Connor's Road where Russ thought we might be able to find remnants of the old dump. The people, the people that lived around here, like I said, it was a shanty town. And now you look at these houses. I mean, these houses are probably, they're probably close to a million dollars, if not more. The ones that are just teardowns are probably going for close to a million. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a house just at the end of the block, uh -huh. a block over. It was for sale by owner. I noticed it in the summer it was listed for like 800,000. It's not one of these new fixed up ones. It was icy as heck out, which made for tough walking for all of us, but especially for little May, who's only three. Her brother Oliver, meanwhile, couldn't resist throwing a couple snowballs, and their big sister Cleo was excited to share some facts that she'd researched on her own. Yeah, I think that's what they called that. And that's, I'm interested in that, that, like, did they rebrand it to be Cloverdale? Because I thought it was... They did, after, it was Gallagher, um, uh -huh. um, Cornelius Gallagher. Uh -huh. He was born in 1854, uh -huh. and then he died in, like, I think it was 1930-something. Uh-huh. And he, it was originally, he, like, he owned a giant house somewhere. Oh. And then, and he used to be, like, he used to be a butcher. Uh-huh. And then he became the third mayor of Edmonton. Oh. And then, oh, okay. um, yeah, you know this. and then he, yeah, and then he bought a whole bunch of land called the Gallagher Flats. Okay. And that's Qualgadale. So far the most lethal episode of Let's Find Out. <laughs> this ice in this bath is just sheer death. We brought the recorder and the microphone, we didn't bring the skates. Nope. <laughs> now we know. Next time, bring the skates. <laughs> yeah, so it, was, it was like right over here. I saw this, uh, it was like this, cr this beautiful chrome hubcap. Well, it became beautiful. It was like kind of buried in the dark. It was like after a big rain. There was this chrome hubcap because there were like a lot of car parts that were here, and the cars were really hard to, to deal with because that was one thing that, that the incinerator couldn't deal with was the cars. And uh, so Hay Stewart, the, the archaeologist, he found he showed me some of the stuff that he found right around here. He found the creepiest thing he found were these eyeballs, which look like like human eyeballs, but they're from a doll. But like he just, you can imagine how creepy that would be. Like digging, he was like digging around here, and all of a sudden he sees these eyeballs. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So he's out here digging. Like. Yeah, I don't know exactly where. You know, like he had to. Do you know where, Chris? Do you know where his like actual sites are? Yeah, I went to one of his dig sites. Yeah. If listeners would like to know more, listen to episode five of Let's Find Out. It's <laughs> interesting because like meat packing factory, garbage dump, incinerator, shanty town, like all these different things have their own like unique twist to them. Mm -hmm. Which one do you think catches your eye or your interest the most? The one, the one that really gets me, I guess, is because I live right, not right next to it, but maybe three blocks away from it, is, is the Gainer's meat packing plant because I think of the block I live in and the neighborhood I live in as being so idyllic and so um, detached from kind of the dirtier industrial side of urban life. Um, to think that, that there was a whole, that there were generations of people that grew up around a meatpacking plant and I guess the meatpacking plant and then the sh and then right next to the meatpacking plant the shanty town the coal mines that all of that was happening in this place that to me now seems so quiet and sedate 
that's it for my questions. Do you have anything else you want to add? I thought this was a really interesting question. What it, one of the things that your question made me think about is just not only have we changed the way that we treat this land so many times in the last century, but also the way that we treat and think of waste has changed a lot in the last hundred years, which I think is kind of interesting too. Um, uh, one of the things that I loved with the articles that you wrote online was talking about the, just the different categories of garbage um, uh, in early Edmonton history. Um, like what, like I, we think of garbage as being often like stuff that is recycled, stuff that's composted, stuff that goes to the landfill and maybe like eco station. But there's like whole other ways of categorizing waste. Like one of them was slops, right? Yeah, there, was, there were there were slops and there were. Um Oh boy, night so night soils. Oh, I like that one. So slops were uh, we would compost them now, uh, although they would also add meat because they would be fed to hogs. And until the late twenties, there were there were hogs roaming around Edmonton, even in downtown and restaurants downtown, like the the Fairmont, or I guess it wasn't the Fairmont back then, the Hotel McDonald. Um, you know, they had their own parcel of of hogs that they fed their slops to and then um, in the teens there was like a huge outbreak of swine flu that killed a lot of the hogs and that made it just a, a huge mess and then so there was all these efforts to get animals out of pushed out of the city limits and this it's interesting this is all coming back around now because so many people want to have backyard chickens and it goes back to less than 100 years ago when there was this whole effort to get, get animals out of here now we want to get animals back in but yeah there was there so there were slops which were to be fed to animals night soils which was just a very euphemistic way of saying you know your, your pee and poop and um then there was uh, there was ragging. I can't remember what the ter the term was for the for the waste, but there was a whole um, occupation rag and bone pickers who came along and paid you know very minimal um, money for for uh, any kind of cloth or wood or anything that could be used recycled to build to build something or redo something. So every I mean people just reused everything back then. Now it's only like precious hipsters that do that. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. <laughs> I think that's the that's the cool thing about doing talking about this in 2017 is that I, I feel like we're at a we're at a point where our society has realized okay that avalanche of garbage is everywhere even if it's not in a place that we can see yeah. it's in our oceans it's you know we can try to move it to the edge of our city but we know that just treating waste is as just waste something to be buried for t thousands of years isn't going to work anymore so I, I brought along this book um cradle to cradle have you guys read this no. this is really interesting and i hope uh listeners uh take a chance to check it out um okay. it's by william mcdonough and michael Brongart. um and they talk about basically trying to rethink the way that we think of waste and they talk about thinking of waste as food like in nature when a cherry tree um has the objective of sending out seeds to make a new cherry tree. It might make thousands of blossoms, um, and only a couple of them might end up becoming a fruit that whose seed achieves the goal of being a tree. But all those blossoms aren't waste. They are food for the rest of the ecosystem. They make the rest of the ecosystem healthy. So they talk about thinking of all of the things that we make like that, either being food for other things in nature or being or as food for industry, like think of the products that we make as intentionally being designed from the beginning, not from cradle to grave, but with uh, cradle to cradle thinking in mind, like, okay, so I'm designing a TV. What are the components that go into this TV? How can 
industry reuse them afterwards, how can we design this TV to be taken apart and reused later? Um, I think it's really cool that we're at a moment when industry is, is rethinking the way that it treats waste from the very beginning, from the design phase, so that maybe we don't all have to be buried under a mountain of garbage. I think maybe that was kind of the, the one um, thing probably about living with garbage all around you that that used to that used to have right when if you lived here in the 20s you'd just be surrounded by garbage and the smell of garbage is that you're probably really cognizant of what you threw away and what what the after the afterlife of your refuse was whereas now we just throw it in a gar we just throw it in a trash can somebody's gonna come pick it up take it away and we'll never see it again and that's it you know so yeah. Very cool. Any final thoughts from uh, the Harkis family? Uh, just a big thank you. Uh, this was more than I thought I'd get to know, so it's been great. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. It's nice to meet you guys. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. This podcast is produced by Omar Salafu and me, Chris Chengen Phillips. We want your questions about Edmonton history, so drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. And we just launched a Facebook page for Let's Find Out. So now you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Let's Find Out Podcast. Okay, thank you time. Thank you to Nicole and Jason and Cleo and Oliver and May Harkis. To Ken Tingley and Russ Cobb. And to Melissa McCarthy at the City of Edmonton Archives. Thanks to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast. To everyone who's been supporting it, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the intentionally lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. Until next time, keep your questions coming.